Procrastinating, a term most often used by the millennial generation, is a method of putting something off, delaying, or postponing something by taking part in the act of baking. Welcome to Procrastibaking, a place to talk about our baking obsessions and avoid doing everything else. Coming to you from Southern California, I'm Louisa. And from small town, North Carolina, I'm Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Hi, how are you? I am doing okay. <laughs> it's funny how like automatically I'm like, I'm doing fine, but am I really doing fine? I don't know. We're going on week, I don't even know what week this is, week five of quarantine life and Things are starting to bleed together for me, just the days and the weeks. <laughs> yes, it all does work together. It does. So, my coworker you know. told me, seems like she lives a week every day. Yes, that feels accurate. And it's weird because, like, I still go to, I mean, I'm not going to work, but I'm still working. So, I have a somewhat consistent schedule. But even work is, like, different. And I have to work from my dining room table which is fine. But you know, I'm just not in some ways, I think I like work harder now because I'm trying to figure out distance learning for my students. And then in yeah. other ways, I just feel like with everything else going on, I'm not as productive as I want to be because my mind is on like a bajillion other things while I'm trying to work. And, and that's what I've found is true for my students too. Like when I've, I've been doing zoom counseling sessions, and that's going about as well as can be expected. <laughs> Getting five-year-olds to cooperate <laughs> with you <laughs> online is, um, is hard for everybody involved. And it's funny because like they're more tech savvy than me, which is so embarrassing. And I, I think I'm fairly good with tech. But the other day I was doing a Zoom session and one of my students like hijacked the session in that they figured out like how to draw on the screen. I was like, share, I was watching a video with them and the student was able to like draw, like use a crayon feature. And she was like drawing pictures on the screen. <laughs> I was like, hold on, who is drawing on this, on this video screen? And then they all start laughing. I just felt like, I don't know. I just felt so silly because like, I had no control over what was happening. So that is, I've, that is how things are going. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that older students are taking like screenshots of themselves paying attention and setting that as their photo, and then they walk away and do whatever it is they want to do because it looks like they're there attending. Interesting. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, they're too smart. I can't keep, <laughs> I can't keep up. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's been tough. It just feels kind of weird too, because I think it's important to try to maintain some sense of stability. So I, I do think it's fun that I get to do the sessions with my students for that reason. But everybody just has like a yeah, has like a lot of other things going on. So for some families, that's not the priority. And it's hard learning to be okay with that, you know, because I, I think I spend a lot of time like scheduling and trying to troubleshoot and making sure all the kids can get on at a certain time. And then when that doesn't happen, it's easy to be really hard on yourself, like, oh, I should have trade harder, or maybe I wasn't as clear. And then Raul had to like sit me down for a <laughs> talking to and he was like listen man you're being too hard on yourself you just have to take it for what it is I mean even if you're just checking in with them to see that they're okay and to right. say hi it doesn't have to be like it's just not going to be the same as 
you know, it was when we were physically going to school. So yeah, my husband's struggling too, because here the kids aren't, it's not mandatory for them to go to their their online classes. It's mandatory for the Mm. teachers to teach them, but not for the kids to show up. So he's only half my kids are there like what's wrong and they're just their parents aren't making them or they can't or whatever for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm trying to be very like understanding too that yeah, that there's probably a lot going on that we don't even know about at their homes. And I can't imagine like trying to do my work and having like my children also like running around needing my attention too. like it'd be impossible. I can't imagine their parents are trying to help them with schoolwork at the same time they're trying to do their job exactly crazy times and I feel like that's any of my educator friends listening I don't let me know if this is true or not but I feel like we're all at this point where we're where we tend to be really hard on ourselves because we want to do like the most we can to help so it's hard just kind of adjusting our expectations and being okay with saying like I did the best that I could with what I had available and then you just kind of go from there Yeah, I read something that said, you know, you're not working from home. You're at home during a crisis and trying to work. Yes, that's a good way of framing it. Because I think, yeah, it's easy to forget that we're doing this while something really scary is happening outside. So we're not all going to be able to give 100%. And that should be okay for right now. Everybody's just trying to survive. But yeah, that's pretty much what's going on with me. I'm trying to find creative ways to be to exercise and get some kind of movement into my day and I was telling you earlier Rachel that my dog I've now like created this monster because now she expects walks like every hour because we (laughs) because we were so bored we started just giving her extra walks whenever we wanted some time outside and now she's just like this demanding pop time let's go (laughs) she's your drill sergeant I know she is my drill sergeant (laughs) She's very, she's like the queen of this apartment. I, in terms of status, like she thinks that we're equal or even she probably thinks she's better than me, which I admit I created because I just kind of let her, I love her so much. I just am so soft with her. I don't like correcting her. And Raul is definitely like the, the strict disciplinarian parent. So she (laughs) respects him a lot. And with me, she's like nudging my computer and like, she nudges the sofa when I'm sitting on it and then will just look at me or she does like this growl to get my attention. I'm making her sound so bad. She's really a, a really good dog for the most part. But I've noticed that with us being home more, she wants more of that attention. And now it's gotten to the point where like she's more demanding of it. So that's been tricky figuring out how to tell her, no, we're not going for the 10th walk today. That's enough. You've had enough. I love you. Go take a nap. <laughs> um that's funny so yeah that's pretty much it so I mean we're doing movie marathons are you and Mike doing a lot of tv watching yes a lot of different movies and Netflix and different things we've been watching a series called Marco Polo hmm history yeah it's interesting I'm trying to figure out if it's real or like how true it is because it seems so far we haven't gotten to the Marco Polo that we know is Marco Polo so I'm just waiting for that to happen hmm I don't really know too much about Marco Polo. I don't either, except that he was an explorer. And right now the Marco Polo we're watching is a slave in China. So I don't know if this is a different Marco Polo or if (laughs) that was just like the beginning of his life. So we will see. His cousin also named Marco Polo. (laughs) You didn't know about that? No, or his son maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Everybody knows (laughs) his cousin. (laughs) Marco Polo Jr. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we've been... 
trying to get into new shows. We started watching Twin Peaks. Did you ever watch that? I it's have like an old show. No, is it good? Yeah, it's very interesting. Kind of quirky. It's about like a murder in a small town. And I think there's like some kind of supernatural elements to it. So there's like an FBI agent working with local law enforcement to solve the murder. And the way that they go about solving it is not, it's not like a traditional, like solving a crime show, if that makes sense. There's something extra, something, yeah. I don't know if it's sci-fi or what, but it's something su- supernatural, I guess is the best way. Okay. Going on while they're solving the crime. And so, yeah, it's, it's really unique. Does- I like that so far. Yeah, that does yeah. sound interesting. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. And what else are we watching? I'm still watching movies with Raul for his, he's doing like the, watching all the movies on the AFI list. Oh, right. 100 greatest movies. So I, I saw my first, what do you call it? When they're not a silent film. Oh my God, where's my brain today? Oh, I, don't I was like, what's the opposite of a talkie? <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it's, the char- it's a Charlie Chaplin movie that we saw. City Lights, I think is what it's called. Yeah, it was really interesting. It was really I didn't think I would like it. I thought my attention span was going to be very limited. Right. Because I think I, you that's know. what I would think too. Yeah. About, about me. But, <laughs> oh, how rude. Yeah. No, you would not be wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. So I thought it was going to be super boring. But he's actually so like physically engaging on screen to watch Charlie Chaplin that you're, I don't know, it's, it's really entertaining. So yeah. So I will be like a very knowledgeable film buff yeah you're getting a good education here yeah I'm learning a lot I feel like when Raul tests me at the end they'll only remember like 20 (laughs) percent it's just a lot of movies (laughs) I have to study up for my test um I forgot what we were talking about this is gonna there are gonna be like a series of episodes where I'm I'm gonna sound like this and all of them <laughs> just as saying, I forgot what you're talking about. <laughs> so I'm sorry, listeners. I will get it together once things get back to normal and my brain is working well again. Then I will be on top of it. But yeah, that's pretty much that's our check in. So on that note, it's time for sweet and low. <laughs> Where we- <laughs> As That's we smooth said. <laughs> okay. Yes, it's time for sweet and lows. It is. It's time for sweet and lows where we discuss our baking highlights and low spots since our last episode. Lou, do you want to start us off? Sure. I actually, shockingly, have not baked anything in a while. The last thing that I baked was banana nut muffins, just for fun. That sounds good. Because I had one banana. Yeah, I had one banana that was really ripe. And instead of doing maybe what normal people would do, which is just to eat the banana, I was like, I need to put this banana (laughs) in a baked good form, and I will make banana nut muffins. And they turned out really well. And I only used one banana, which is nuts. (laughs) And I had nuts in Oh, Look and I made that. a pun accidentally. <laughs> so proud of myself. See, this loopy brain of mine is going to be helpful in some ways. <laughs> I do that too. If I um, see one kind of languishing, I don't just eat it. I have to make something with it. Or I peel it and stick it in the freezer and then, and then put it in a smoothie, which is still making something with it. Yeah, to create with it. 
and they were delicious. I'll post the recipe for that because if anybody's looking for a quick and easy banana nut muffin recipe, I would recommend this one. So yeah, so I guess because of that, I haven't really had a lot of mishaps because I sort of took a little break from baking, not because I didn't want to, I like really wanted to, but we ran into a problem where we were having like a backlog of all of my baked goods. <laughs> my poor husband is freaking out about what to do about all the baked goods. And so we've talked about like freezing. I did freeze like my cheesecake and then I made the muffins and then, yeah, I think it was just getting to be like too much in the house at one time. So I sacrificed, I made a sacrifice. You hear this, Raul? <laughs> didn't spend time doing something that I love so that we wouldn't have an abundance of baked goods in the house. Yeah, that is hard um, to deal with, especially when there's just the two of so you hard. and you're not, not going out to take it anywhere. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like today I'm sort of getting a hankering for wanting to make something. I don't know what I should make though. I feel like something chocolatey per usual. Ah, uh, yeah, that usually <laughs> chocolatey too. I was gonna say I think I'm gonna make like bread or crackers or something that we might feel more like eating, mm. not as sweet. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I don't know. I will um, let you guys know. I know. I think I'm definitely gonna make something today with what I have. I don't want to make another grocery trip. So stay tuned to hear what that is. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? I know you did a lot of baking because you had a, a guest. This I week. did. Um, my nephew was here with us and he likes to bake. So I took advantage of that. I made uh, a couple things, one of which was coconut taco chip cookies for your parents. And Oh, that's right. That's my sweet and my low. My low is that the recipe didn't say to use coconut sugar. But since I had some, I thought, oh, that's a good swap to make it more coconutty. And I forgot <laughs> to put in the cookies. <laughs> so that was my low was, I need to get better at that. Like, I don't know how you say it. The mise en place, mise en place, however, French, forget everything ready. What is this? Mise en place? Yeah, it's like M-I-S-E-N-P-L-A-C-E. It's where they put everything in the little bowls first. That's what it's yeah. called? That's so cute. <laughs> I mean. I didn't know how to word it for it. Yeah, it's a French Me phrase. Said. And I don't I don't speak French, so I don't know how to go about pronouncing it. But I need to get better at that because that would have saved me from forgetting to put the coconut sugar in instead of the regular sugar. Because when I had mm, thought yeah. if I would have just gone ahead and measured it out, it would have been there. But gotcha. my high was that my husband tried them and he was really disappointed when I told him they had coconut in it. He's like, why can't you just make plain <laughs> chocolate chip cookies? They're like good enough on their own. And I was like, well, this is what you've got. So if you want something, <laughs> this is what you have to eat. And he tried it and he said they were really good. So that was my high was that someone who doesn't like sweets and didn't care for coconut thought they were pretty good. So very nice. Your baking goods can convince even the most skeptical. <laughs> I did want to tell you that my parents were like obsessed with the cookies. And at some point we'll have to figure out, I guess on social media, I made them record themselves <laughs> giving like a quick review of them. And it's funny, my brother helped record it and he said it took them like four tries. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they sent a little video. What that? Bet that is a cute video. Yeah, it's really cute, and they they really enjoyed them. So thank you for sending those to them because you would think their own daughter who also bakes would send them. But <laughs> I did. <laughs> so they're like, thank God, our other daughter <laughs> is thinking of making us things. So yeah, they actually they really enjoyed them. I'm glad they liked it. Good. So. Was that your low then, not using the coconut sugar? It was, yeah. But your sweet was that. Mike liked the cookies. Yes, my taste. And my parents. Yeah, and they liked them too, which is the main goal. So that works. Very nice. 
So why don't we transition to another segment called Baking Myths versus Facts? That we, this is the first time we've done this segment. The idea for this segment came from a dinner that I had last month with some friends at uh, my friend Molly's house and we were discussing the podcast and one of them came up with the idea to do an episode about baking myths and facts and we really liked that idea so for this segment today we've compiled a list of common baking knowledge and we both did a little research to sort out what is fact and what is myth. And we split up our list and researched them. And now we're going to put each other's knowledge to the test. Oh, goodness. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. All right. So I think I will start us off, Rachel. Okay. I researched three topics and you did the same. And so to start off, let me ask you about sifting ingredients. The idea that sifting flour is absolutely necessary. Do you think that's a truth or a myth? I'm going to guess myth because I very rarely sift. So I'm going to hope that that's okay. <laughs> hmm. Okay. The answer to this one is tricky. And I think this will probably be the answer to most of the ones on our list. The answer is that it truly just depends on what you're making. What I found is that. Yes, for the most part, if it's not something that's like a very sensitive dessert, meaning like it's not technique heavy, then I think it's for the most part what it sounds like is it's fine to just use a whisk to mix dry ingredients together. You don't have to sift things through. But if you're using ingredients that tend to clump up, and the one that I saw that came up a lot was powdered sugar, which does tend to clump up and cocoa mm. powder as well, you are better off sifting so that it mixes appropriately. and you would especially want to do that if it's something that is going to be a very light baked good, like angel food or sponge cake. Those are the ones that were mentioned a lot. I haven't tried an angel food cake. Have you? No, I haven't. Sounds like something nice and light, like for summer, you know? Good, good for summer, yeah. And another time where you maybe wouldn't need to sift is if you are like beating in the dry ingredients into a batter with a mixer, because that usually will do a good enough oh. job breaking up the clumps but if you are folding the dry ingredients in so you're not getting like that extra mixing power then you would probably be better off sifting so I think it just makes it depends on what you're making like how finicky the product is I guess like maybe macarons you always want to sift yes. your almond flour but chocolate cookies are probably I guess durable enough yes to not exactly so I guess the ultimate answer to that one is it just depends on what you're making. But it sounds like for the most part, I think for the most part, what we make are not super finicky. So that's why we're usually okay just kind of whisking it in or letting the mixer do all the work. Well, the first one I researched is loud noises and opening the oven can cause a cake to fall. <laughs> what do you think? About loud that? noises. That's interesting. Yeah. So I thought that that was just something my mom told me. But looking around the internet, apparently that's a common conception is that a loud noise can cause the cake to fall. I thought she was just trying to get me to be quiet when I was a kid. That is weird. So, so mom, if you're listening, tell us if you made that up. 
Sounds like a good parenting hack just to tell your kids that everything will be ruined if they make any noise. Yeah. What made me suspicious about that is my sister says she can remember my parents telling her that the ice cream truck only played music to let people know it was out of ice cream. (laughs) So from the same woman, it could possibly be that this is a myth. Man, I can't wait to be a parent and just come up with all these lies to tell my children. (laughs) Probably the best part. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, opening the oven, I will say I have heard that's a no-no because that can create like dips in your cake or your cupcake. So I don't know. I guess I would say yes, it's a it's a fact. Okay, so I kind of split them into two parts to kind of see if they were the same thing, the loud noises and opening the oven, or if they both cause the cake to fall. And at first I was finding, yes, that loud noises cause vibrations, which could cause the cake huh. to fall. But then I found a video on MyRecipes.com and it said baking expert Marge Perry was who was doing the video. And she said that loud noises do not interrupt the chemical process that's going on causing the cake to rise. So that that is a myth, but that opening the door changes the temperature, which can affect the chemical process, whereas a noise doesn't affect chemical processes. So that's why opening the door can cause the cake to dip, but loud noises do not bother it. So play your music and slam your doors, she said, because it's not going to make a difference. Hmm, Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, Yeah. um, So we can play our baking, Daniel's baking or Daniel's morning music playlist while we bake and it's not (laughs) going to bother anything. That's good to know. So I can be as annoying as I want and as loud as I want and I won't (laughs) do anything negative. (laughs) Very interesting. Okay, let me ask you another one. Okay, so here we go. You must start with room temperature eggs unless the recipe states otherwise. What do you think about that? So this is something else that I also ignore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How, I, you know, I I ignore it, but sometimes I don't wonder if that's why some of my things don't mess up is because I'm, I mean, do mess up is because I'm not following those directions. So I'm going to go with true fact on that. Um, Ding, ding, ding. You are correct. This apparently is very important to do, (laughs) which is alarming. (laughs) I know. It's alarming because I also kind of have tended to skip over this. And you know what? I also think like, yes, it. from what I read, it is important to have room temperature eggs. But I also kind of feel like personally, it also depends on what you're making. Because what they mentioned is that most things at room temperature will just mix in better together. And from a scientific standpoint, it said that when ingredients are at room temperature, they form a mixture that traps in air, which is good when you're baking, because when you bake it, the air um, increases and results in very light and fluffy and airy baked goods at the end. Mm. So again, you would really our cakes would be lighter. Yes. You especially want to do this when you, when the end product is intended to be something lighter and not as dense. And again, they mentioned angel food cake. I feel like we should make angel food cake now. That's what kept coming up. So at any point when you're also supposed to like beat eggs or egg whites for a recipe, you're going to get a fluffier, a lighter product when you're using room temp eggs. So that can be very important depending on what you're making. And then another thing I read is that this is also important for things like cheesecake or bakes that have a lot of fat content 
because if the eggs are too cold, so then you run the it. risk of the fat in the bake like rehardening and it can make it lumpy. And so that the example that they gave mm -hmm. us about cheesecake. So that's another reason why you would you would be better off having a room temp egg to avoid any lumpiness in your bake. So yeah, final answer is yeah, it apparently is a big deal. But I don't know. I've I've like skipped over this and made cookies sometimes and they've turned out okay. So do you think like maybe it just depends on what you're making again? Like it's possible to do it. I do yeah. think so. I think that this one probably has less room to negotiate than the other with the sifting. I think it, the, the eggs probably affects more things than the Agreed. sifting does. But I think our cookies are probably safe yeah. either way. So listeners, leave your eggs out for 30 minutes on your counter. Which is so hard to remember to do. Like, I don't want to, like, I'm ready to start baking now. I don't want to leave my, put my eggs out and then start. In I did read, like, if you want to rush the process, you could set them in warm, not hot water, but just slightly warm water for maybe like 15 minutes, I think I read. But I didn't put that in here. Well, I guess it doesn't matter because I just told you about it. I don't know how much weight I would put on that because it just sounds like when you're messing with eggs like that, I would be a little weird with how that would affect things. Um, and I don't trust myself with gauging how much exactly, gauging what warm means exactly. I feel like I would make it too warm and then just mess it up. So yeah, I think just try to pre-plan. Do that. What is that thing you said? Mise en, mise en bloc. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I guess if you're doing that, you pull your feet out first, measure everything else, and then and it's just pass and you're ready to get Yeah. Any French speakers out there that want to enlighten us on how yes, to pronounce please, that? Yes, please. We're just butchering it. Mise en bloc. Mise en bloc. No, okay, now it's your turn. So the second one I researched is that um, spices, baking soda, and baking powder last indefinitely. No, that's false. I had a feeling you were going to say that because I know you're big on expiration <laughs> dates like we talked yeah. about last time. And you are both right and wrong. Wow. They are technically shelf-stable items. So you can eat them in 20 years and it's not going to do you any harm. So they don't expire but their potency decreases. Okay. So they're not going to be useful to use them, um, the baking soda and baking powder. They're not going to make your cake rise. And then the spices, they're not going to taste like anything or taste as good as they would if they were fresh. So it won't kill you, but it won't necessarily be helpful to you either. Right. It, yeah. It's kind of pointless. Right. So I didn't realize this, but baking soda, if you've opened it, should be used within six months. Yes. That's why they have those little... Which I feel like there's little spots on the box to mark when you opened it. I have never noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to like write it in with a Sharpie. Like I opened it on this day. So that way you know to use it within a certain amount of time. That makes sense. But to me, it's like such a big, con I mean, small container, but for six months, I feel like that's such a big amount of baking soda when you only use like a teaspoon yeah. at a time. No, I get it. We actually managed to go through ours pretty quickly because I also use it to get like grease stains out of our pants. Yeah, oh, so smart. it has a multi-purpose use, but I hear what you're saying. If you're using it strictly for baking, it does seem kind of like a waste. But I wonder, you know, it would be interesting to know how much of the potency is lost after six months because maybe it's lost a little bit, but but by how much, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, could you still get a decent product? Right. Out of it? Someone should do studies and yeah, at what point is it useless? Is it six months and three days? Exactly. Is it seven and by months? how much? Like, is it? Yeah, exactly. And there's a test for baking soda. And you probably could have guessed this. You just mix a spoonful of it with a splash of vinegar and judge the fizziness mm. of it. So if you get like 
a good amount of fizziness, it's still good to use. And then as the fizziness decreases, you should replace it. And the same for baking powder. It's good for nine months. And then you, to test it, you use a teaspoon with half a cup of hot water and it should bubble up. And if it doesn't bubble, you should toss mm. it. These are good to know. Because I've also had friends ask me, how are they supposed to know if they can still use the baking soda or the baking powder? It's not like you could sniff it or something. I mean, you could, but it's probably not ideal. Um, and then spices. Your spices are good. Flavor-wise, if they're ground, they're good for two to three years. Whole spices, three to four. Blended spices are good for one to two years. And then dried herbs are good for one mm. to three years. Okay. So any longer than three years, you should probably toss. Yes, for, for the best flavor. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The other day I was making, when we made our chai cheesecake, I needed nutmeg for it. And the nutmeg that I was using was from when I bought it in November of 2016. 2016 or 2017? November of 2017. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think it's going to be over two good. years old. It'd be at the upper end of the range. Say it, it smelled like funky. And then, but you know how I am. I'm like weird about everything. I want to throw everything out. So I made Raul smell it and even he thought it was not good. So, and that was, I would say, yeah, less than three years. So that's interesting to know. I would even say like maybe more than two years, you probably don't want to use it. Yeah. Cause ground is two, two to three and then blends are one to two. So probably yeah. two years is a good, a good mark. Very interesting. Okay. I have one more. Okay. The alcohol bakes out of whatever you're baking. So like bakes out of the cake. So a couple years ago, I looked this up because I was wanting to take something that had um, rum in it. It was not good. And I wanted to make sure it wasn't going to make anybody intoxicated. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like the answer is it doesn't bake uh -huh. off, but it's been a couple years. So I'm going to let you enlighten me. You are correct. Some of it does bake out of the, the bake, the cake or whatever it is. It just isn't as, as much as you would think. So I found this article that mentioned that how much alcohol bakes out of the product depends on obviously how much time you have it baking for. And then also depends on the vessel, like what kind of pan you're baking it in, the size of the pan. But an example they gave is that let's say you put alcohol into something, into a cake that you bake for about 30 minutes. After 30 minutes, the cake would still have about 35% of the alcohol content. And after about two and a half hours, it would only have about 5%. So it just depends on how long you're baking it for. Um, and then again, you know, if you're baking it in a, in a smaller pan, you're going to have more alcohol content in it versus baking it in a, a wider pan where you're letting things kind of spread out and that way it can bake out more. So there's still going to be a good amount of alcohol in the cake, even after it's baked. The question is, though, how much alcohol did you start with? Because if you only added a little bit for flavoring, I think it, would, it wouldn't make anyone drunk, even if they're drinking a the full amount. If you're down to 30% of that, it's probably safe for people yeah. to have a couple pizzas. Let me just give an example. I think that's a good question you brought up. Like, how much did you start with? Because that does make a difference. So a while ago, you sent me a recipe or like a series of recipes for bunt cakes I just got in a bunt pan and the one I ended up making one it was a rum bunt cake and it was so good yeah. but do you know how much rum it called for because this is probably the most I've ever baked this um a cup it did call a for cup. a cup of dark rum 
which is a lot of rum. And I have to say, okay, let's see how long I pulled up the recipe because I wanted to see. It had me bake it for, okay, so a cup of rum that was baked for an hour in a 10-inch bunk pan. I'm just wondering, because you're starting with a really large amount of rum. And I have to say, that cake, like, it was boozy. Do you remember that cake, Raul? The, the rum bunk cake that I made, and I gave it to some of your friends too when they came over. And that, it was, ooh, yeah, it was really strong. It was really good, but I was like, holy cow, I can't believe I'm serving this. But it's okay. It was to the D&D boys, and they, they ate it. <laughs> they just, they ate it and never complained. So, um, still like so yeah, so in this wow. case, no, I mean, like I'm trying to do the math. To and see. that was after baking for an hour. So definitely did not dissolve as much as I expected. Yeah, that's good to know because you don't want to um, maybe have a drink and a <laughs> slice of the rum cake and then think no, you're okay to drown. Be da- a dangerous mix. And frosting, too. Ooh. If you're putting it in your frosting, it's yes. not going anywhere. Very, very powerful. Okay, I think you have one more, right? I do. Um, and it is, it's impossible to soften butter in the microwave. Impossible? <laughs> Nothing's impossible. And we ask the microwave <laughs> listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the woman who doesn't have a microwave. Um, I think that's a myth. Like, you can soften butter. I've done it before in a microwave. Okay, so I agree, and, and you're right. What I found, though, is that most people say that you can't soften butter in the microwave, that it's either hard or melted. But I'm with you. If you do it very carefully, which for me in my microwave is 11 <laughs> seconds exactly, you get butter that you can, like, touch your finger to, and it, like, bends a little bit, but it doesn't, it's mm. not melted at all. And what made me look this up was I had heard it's impossible to do it. And I'd seen so many tips for how to soften your butter quickly that involved filling a glass with hot water, emptying the glass, and then putting the glass over the butter and letting it soften. And I'm like, that's great if you don't have a microwave, but if you have a microwave, you can have softened butter in 11 <laughs> seconds. So why am I doing all this extra And that's because I guess it's very easy to melt the butter. So people are saying it's impossible to, to get that soft stage. It, it is, is possible, possible, yeah. You know what I do sometimes is put it on the stove while it's preheating and that helps. Yes. So I stopped doing that when I forgot about it and I turned around and it was just a pool of melted butter sitting on my stove top. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that would happen to you. But yeah, I totally use that um, preheating oven yeah. method as well. To it's possible. Butter. Anything's possible, listeners. You can do anything with baking. It's just not a 100% <laughs> secure that it's going to turn out okay. Um, cool. Those are really interesting. I feel like I learned a lot. Me too. I'm glad we did this. So now that we've sorted myth from fact, it's time to move on to a discussion of upcoming holidays. We have two coming up, the 4th of July and sugar cookie day. So let's tackle the 4th of July first. Do you usually say the 4th of July or Independence Day? I always say happy 4th of July. I'm not fancy enough to say Independence Day, I think. (laughs) Me too. I just had that same thought. It sounds so much more normal to say 4th of July. Yeah, I feel like if you're that person that says happy Independence Day, then you're probably not getting invited to a lot of things. (laughs) Sorry to say this. (laughs) You're not getting getting invited to the Independence Day parties. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think I've ever said anything other than happy 4th of July. Do you or did you growing up have any 4th of July traditions? Hmm. 
I mean, nothing too out of the ordinary. I feel like what we did is what most people do. Like we would have a cookout outside. My parents have a pool at their house. So we would always do something there. I did for the past like six or seven years, I've always tried to make something with a red, white, and blue color pattern in it. So one year we made like cocktails that had like red, white, and blue layered on top of each other. I forget what was in it. Like, um, I don't know, was it like vodka for the white and then some kind of Gatorade for the blue? I'll have to look up the recipe, but when you put it in a glass, you could see like the gradient, red, white, and blue. And then, yeah, one year I made like a, like a no-bake cheesecake, I think, using strawberries and blueberries and whipped cream, also doing the red, white, and blue color pattern. So I would say if anything, in terms of like baking or making something, that's been a tradition for the past six or seven years, is keeping that color pattern in there yeah that's a cool way to celebrate I remember growing up my mom would always make those flag cakes oh that's cool and I always loved getting to help her lay out the fruit that was always fun very nice yeah we'd usually go watch a fireworks show and then have a cookout as well but lately so my dad's birthday is the end of June and then my husband's birthday and my brother-in-law's birthday are early July. So lately, we've kind of been foregoing or combining our 4th of July celebration with their joint oh, birthday celebration. Nice. So how has that changed the 4th of July traditions, I guess? What new things have been added? Birthday cake. Ooh. And lately, we've been skipping the fireworks, which I really like fireworks, but the two guys don't really care for them. Oh, Yeah, and my dad, I can't tell if he's just going with the flow or if he just took us um, because we liked it when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah, so we get that. If it's a long weekend, we get the long weekend, um, which is nice, but we're usually having a three-way birthday party or a four-way birthday party in America. I like that. I do also like fireworks. I feel like the best parts or some of the best memories I have are of being a child and just standing with a mixture of both like fear and excitement while I watched my brother and my dad light things in the street and like the cul-de-sac in front of our house it was always such a rush like oh my god is something gonna explode or catch on fire or what (laughs) and um my mom it was so funny we all had like our positions like my brother and my dad were always the people who would light things and sometimes they would invite me to do it but I just I wasn't that cool so then I would sit in the driveway watching and then my mother would be all the way inside the house behind the glass door at our front door just like hovering anxiously she would never come outside because she was like for sure certain that she was gonna get hit by a firework (laughs) (laughs) blow each other up but you were not gonna get to her no she was not having it that's another tradition we had is that everybody assumed their positions for the fireworks (laughs) we all had our (laughs) sets based on how scared we were (laughs) so another thing that's coming up that you mentioned is sugar cookie day and here are some fun facts about sugar cookie day it is officially celebrated on july 9th and sugar cookies are believed to come from the nazareth cookie which is a round crumbly butter cookie that german settlers made in nazareth pennsylvania in the mid 1700s Pennsylvanians loved the cookie so much that in 2001, they passed a bill to make it the official state cookie. Pennsylvanians must love their cookies as another Pennsylvania tradition is to have a cookie table at weddings. Ooh, I have a little story about this later. This tradition is believed to have begun around the time of the Great Depression as a way to save the bride and groom some money. 
generally family members prepare different cookies to be served at the reception. So I wanted to um, share a story about my sweet friends, Jake and Diana, who got married last year. Wow, it's been a whole year almost. Um, and that was the first time that I have ever seen the, the cookie table tradition. And so Jake is from Pennsylvania. And so, and the wedding was held in New Jersey, but they kept that tradition. And it was such a fun idea. My friend Diana sent us emails asking if we wanted to bring anything. And somehow our baked, our, my cookies made it all the way <laughs> to New Jersey in relatively one piece. And it's so neat. You, you, um, you come to the reception and there's just like a, a big table with all these different baked goods that people have made. And then they give you a little container for you to fill in your own box of a mixture of the ones that you want, which I thought was just so sweet, oh. um, so creative and such like a sweet, a sweet way for like family and friends to do something to show that they love the couple, you know? So yeah, I, I really love that. I kind of wish I had known about it. I'm not from Pennsylvania, nor do I have any ties to Pennsylvania, <laughs> right? But I almost, yes, go back and, and add that to my own wedding because I thought it was really fun. Yeah, that sounds like a sweet tradition. Do you remember what kind of cookies you made? They were actually a Jewish recipe that my friend Rachel, my other friend Rachel, <laughs> here in Los Angeles gave me. They were almost like a, how do I describe it? What are those things that you dip in your coffee that I like? Biscotti? Biscotti. Yes. They were they were kind of like a biscotti cookie um, with almonds in them. And then I also made these like butter cookies that had nuts in them as well. And they were traditionally like Jewish inspired recipes. This is my friend Rachel is Jewish and Jake and Diana are Jewish. And so they included a lot of Jewish cultural elements in the wedding, which was really cool. That was my first time seeing that. So yeah, so it was kind of nice to try my hand at some Jewish cookie recipes. And they were both really good. So if I can find the recipes that she sent me, I'll have to post them in our show notes because yeah, yeah, they were both they really good. And something good. new that I had never tried before. So that was really cool. Okay, so now we kind of know that sugar cookies are beloved in some parts of the country, but some people maybe don't like them as much. So Rachel, do we want to talk about our unpopular opinion for this episode? Yes, I don't like sugar cookies. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, tell us what about sugar cookies makes you not like them. I feel like, and this is probably the point of them, but I feel like they just taste like <laughs> sugar. Um, I like things to be sweet, but to also have like a flavor. So uh, that's why I don't like them. Um, especially since we came back from Korea, over there, things weren't very sweet. So my palate kind of readjusted to not being able to handle like that overly sweet taste of like, say like a grocery okay. store um, birthday cake. That's too sweet for my mouth right now. So since then, I, my tolerance for just that overly sweet taste has gone way down. So that's why I don't like them. But I always feel like I'm missing out on being able to decorate them because I see all these cute pictures and magazines and Pinterest of really cute decorated sugar cookies. So I found a recipe for shortbread cutouts and they work really well. They hold their shape and then they're just, they're kind of got that buttery sweet flavor to them and not just okay. sweet. 
So I've been making those at Christmas to decorate. And you don't find that the shortbread are too crumbly? That's always been my thing with shortbread. I just feel like I haven't found a recipe that holds together that well. Yeah, I kind of expected these to fall apart as well. I'll have to post a link because I don't remember. It's been a Christmas. I don't think I made them this Christmas. It's been two Christmases since I've made them. Um, I can't remember if there's an extra something in there that makes it hold together. But no, these didn't crumble. Very nice. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think I hate sugar cookies, but they're not what I gravitate towards at all. I do love the ones we make at Christmas, which, yeah, I wonder if what I like is the cookie or the taste of the frosting on top of it. <laughs> no, actually, I've tried those cookies without the frosting, and it's just pretty good. But I get it. I mean, they're just kind of simple and can be sort of bland, depending on the recipe and what's on it. So I wonder if you could make a chocolate sugar cookie. Oh, I'm sure. Right? Because then you would like it more. I think it would solve my sugar cookie dilemma. We need to get on this. Yeah. We need to investigate and find a recipe that I'm sure would include some chocolate. There's got to be one out there. That would be a good thing for me to find for this Christmas. Do you feel like you're sort of a traitor, though, because you are married to a man from Pennsylvania and they apparently love their sugar cookies? Um, You know, it did not occur <laughs> to me, but <laughs> it may be because he also, he's That's not true. big on sweets. So if he's going to eat a cookie, he's not going to eat a sugar cookie either. He's probably going to eat something that's got peanut butter in it. So he's going to want something that's got a little bit of salty in it with the sugar. Makes sense. Do you like how I just asked if you felt like a traitor? Like, that's a weird question to ask, isn't it? I feel like it's good to ask her. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you set me up here. I'm sorry, but I love you. <laughs> that's a regular question to ask your friends, right? Do you feel like a traitor? Are you a traitor? um yeah (laughs) you're actually the first person to ask me that that's funny well i think i hear the smoke alarm so it's time for us to wrap up this batch of procrastinating we hope we've provided some food for thought for your next procrastinating project As always, the links and photos discussed in this episode can be found in our show notes at ProcrastinatingPodcast.com. Procrastinate with us on Facebook and Insta while we wait for our next episode to rise. Procrastination, we love hearing from you. Let us know if you'd like to be a guest on the show or have suggestions of who you'd like to hear on the show. You can contact us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email at Procrastinating at Yahoo.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Remember, we release new episodes first and third Fridays on your favorite platform. Tune in to the next batch of Procrastinating for a celebration of International Friendship Day and World Listening Day. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rachel Rhodes. And I'm Luisa Gonzalez. Until next time, stay sweet. This has been Procrastinating. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a good review. You can also subscribe to us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and many more. You can also subscribe to our RSS feed directly from our website at ProcrastinatingPodcast.com. Also, feel free to follow us and give us your feedback on social media, on Instagram at at ProcrastinatingPodcast, and Facebook at Facebook.com slash ProcrastinatingPodcast. If you'd like to share your procrastinating stories and pictures with us, you can send an email to procrastinating at yahoo.com. Procrastinating is hosted and created by Rachel Rhodes and Luisa Gonzalez, produced and edited by Raul Ceballos, with music by Alex Walker-Smith and show artwork by Rob Demers.